On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank, we jump right into local college football news. OU players got thrown a bone, OU's big recruiting weekend, and Oklahoma State is getting a transfer. In the National College Football Roundup, we discuss the NCAA giving football players an extra year of eligibility. We look at the SEC's new testing protocols and give updates on Notre Dame, North Carolina, and everyone's favorite dumpster fire, Big Ten football. In Football Guys Talking Basketball, we break down the Thunder's big win over the Rockets and look ahead to game four of that series. We give you our winners and losers of the weekend and discuss the new barcade concept in Oklahoma City in keeping it local. Please download and subscribe to the podcast. Rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. Beautiful Monday, August 24th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank. First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs, checking accounts, savings accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone. Everything is stress-free with FFB making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts couldn't be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. Now, how about these offers for new customers? If you open a new checking account or savings account, they give you $200. If you open both a new checking and savings account, they give you $500. Free money, people. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. Now we're recording this on Sunday night, and I just watched Luka Doncic single-handedly destroy Paul George's career. I don't, no, I'm just kidding. It's not that drastic, but what a performance by Luka Doncic. I mean, it was so fun to watch. That that was my favorite basketball game of the bubble so far. He's legit, man. He, like you said, he's a lot of fun. Um, I haven't seen a whole heck of a lot of the guy, but man, every time I watch, he's hitting threes. He's taking guys to the rim. Uh, he's a lot of fun. Man, poor Paul George, dude. He's got to become worse of a defender, so he has to stop guarding all those guys. Well, it wasn't even that. Reggie Jackson was the one that actually got the game winner straight in his eye, so I don't think that made any of us Thunder fans. You, how do you feel about Reggie Jackson? Uh, dead to me? Is that too strong? <laughs> Listen, okay, you can say whatever you want about Durant, um, many guys that have left, but very few guys just came out and said, yeah, I didn't like Oklahoma City. 
Like, and that dude came out and said that. And I was like, forget you, man. Like, I don't need, like, yeah, dead to me. That may he be was, too strong, but dead to me. He was a total ass, like, the entire final year that he was in Oklahoma City. Wouldn't pass the ball to anyone. Totally was trying to do everything on his own. And I get it trying to uh, make that next contract, make some big money. But good Lord, was he uh, not a very good teammate down the stretch. Yeah, so not a uh, not a big Reggie Jackson podcast, apparently. Now, the one thing about the whole Luka Doncic game was they really made a huge deal out of Montrez Harrell calling him a white boy. Like they spent like 10 minutes on the broadcast and just kept talking about it with Van Gundy and Mark Jackson. I was like, guys, it's not that big of a deal. Do we really have to devote this entire broadcast? The fact that he got called white boy, guess what? He's white. Who cares? Let's move on. Yeah. I, I don't understand. I, Hey, you know what? Part of the problem with, I mean, a lot of people think this, I, I honestly don't know, ratings are a weird thing, but a lot of people think that's one of the problems with the ratings with the NBA is uh, there's been way too much of a focus on that type of stuff, but who it, knows? It just you made know me, with Van Gundy, man, what he's going to get stuck on. It just made me laugh the entire time. They were talking about like, well, how did Montrez Harrell get fined? I was like, back in, when I was playing AU basketball, do you have any idea how many times people called me white boy? Like it never bothered me. Like it just, it was just funny to me, but Ted, good weekend. I, I saw you doing backflip. Was it a backflip or a front flip off a diving board? It was a front flip. Uh, yeah, we had a little bit of fun yesterday at the pool. Um, yeah, it was a good time. It was a good weekend. The weather was beautiful. Um, you know, back with our, our typical weekend, man, hanging out at the pool, a couple of beverages possibly. So, yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, it was, the weather was awesome this weekend, which makes it, it – was, it was hot but not too hot. And I felt, I felt so good for my brother and sister-in-law. They got to pawn the, uh, their two kids off to my sister-in-law's parents yesterday, and they just got to relax and hang out at our house the entire day. I felt so – it had to be so sweet for them. I was, I was excited for them, even though I, I know they love their children, but it felt good to see them cut loose a little bit. It was, it was fun for me to see. Well, how's, it, how, how's the, the house? It seems like they're going to be here for a while. It seems like, yeah, <laughs> they're settled in for sure. They're it settled always in. works out that it, way. It was supposed to be, it seems like it was supposed to be like a Sunday departure. It's looking more like a Wednesday type situation now but you know what it is what it is i'm used to i'm essentially numb to my nephew's screaming now the screaming the crying they know it doesn't work on me because every time they fake cry i go i am immune to your crying uh, it doesn't matter i i do not care about your feelings young yep. children i don't have to deal so, with you after this uh after this week so go cry to mommy have, they exactly. haven't broken anything yet have they no no big I don't want, I'm not even going to say it because I don't want to jinx it. Uh, but I will say not to my knowledge, but seems like there's still a long way to go. All right, Ted, let's get to the local college football news. And that is brought to you by Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer. Guys, stop acting like you're too manly and just accept it. Hard seltzers are amazing. And there's only one hard seltzer that we drink on this podcast. And that is Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer from Coop Aleworks. It's perfect for any occasion. 
We drink it by the pool, at the lake, and at the tailgate. It's made in Oklahoma, and it is absolutely delicious. Will & Wiley is customized for the Oklahoma lifestyle. Go find it right now in a store near you, and go follow them on social media at, at Will & Wiley. If you're drinking some because of us, tag us in your social media posts to let them know. That's starting to happen a lot, by the way. So I feel like we're, we are spreading the message. My, that's Wiley. kind of behind the whole video. My neighbor – uh, he listens to the podcast. Um, their family listens to the podcast. And he's like, hey, it's cool and everything that Will and Wiley sponsors the podcast, but we need them to sponsor your pool. So we've got to continue. So they did one the, last week. The Layman Family and- Pool brought to you by Will and Wiley Hard <laughs> Seltzer. Uh, but it definitely is a lot of fun. We enjoy it. Yeah. All right. Let's start with OU football, Ted. And seems like the Sooners have been hard at work, right? Ever since they took the little break, they've gotten back to practicing. Looks like they're going hard and took some time off on Saturday and looked like they ate some hideaway pizza, which is a good choice. Good choice. Nice. On the game field there in Norman and watched some NBA basketball on the Jumbotron. And I know a lot of people, when they see something like that, it's like, what are, what are they doing? And people may not realize that during a long training camp, and I know they got a week off already, but during a long training camp, especially with what these kids are having to go through with all these protocols, the testing, you know, feeling that responsibility that is on their shoulders right now, it's important to throw these guys a bone every once in a while, Ted. And, and I think a lot of people may not realize that, but when you're working them that hard and they have all this pressure on them, you got to let them cut loose and have a little fun every once in a while. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, camp is a grind. And I know a lot of the rules have changed, but it's still difficult. You know, you're typically talking about up at, you know, 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m. I know sometimes they practice really early, but you know, up really early. I would like to, to practice. I would like to make it very clear. I am anti early morning practice. I hate that. And they do that a lot. Give me the heat. Let me sleep. That's all I'm Dude, saying. Put that on a damn t-shirt. <laughs> I mean, it's, but you're up there early. Some guys have to be up there super early for treatment. You're hurting, you're sore, you practice. As soon as practice is over, it's meetings. Then you eat then meetings, then walk through, then meetings, then eat, then meetings, then meetings. And it's just – and then back home, you collapse and sleep, you do it all over again. Then rinse, then repeat. Exactly. So anytime you – and you've got a big schedule that tells you absolutely – you can look two weeks ahead and it's like, oh, my God. There's no – I can promise you the schedule did not say hideaway pizza, NBA playoffs on Jumbotron, okay? So at some point – he told those guys that there's going to be a change in the schedule and we're going to go hang out, have some food, watch some, uh, some NBA playoffs. I guarantee the guys went crazy. You've got to have, even if it's just something little to break up the monotony, to get out of that, that just hardcore schedule, you got to have those things every now and then, or the guys will go crazy. Yeah. Especially in college football. Now, I think when you talk about the camaraderie of a locker room, right? You know, having some shared experiences outside of the meeting room, uh, off the practice field. A lot of guys can bond 
over NBA basketball. You know, usually athletes are fans of other athletes, right? So the fact that those guys, instead of sitting in a meeting and breaking down the film for God knows how many times they've done it, I mean, it's, it's just a moment for you to relax, a moment for you. And even if you've practiced that day, it's still like, it feels like a big win, even though it's kind of this small thing that a lot of people would be like, I mean, aren't they sitting out in the heat eating a hot pizza? It's like, listen, man, <laughs> yes, they are. But that, that's not really what it's about. It, it's about just it feels getting, like an air conditioner when you don't have your pads on. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's about just getting away from football just for a few hours. And that can go a long way. I know it seems silly to say that, but during a long training camp, especially this one, which is really mentally taxing, I think for a lot of these guys with everything that's going on with the coronavirus, like this is a big deal. It sounds stupid, but it is a big deal to work things like that in. Do we have time for a quick semi-related story? Of course we do. Okay, so, and I can't remember if I've talked to you about this before. So, like, my freshman year at OU, I was going through the summer workout. So it would be the summer before uh, my freshman year. And total grind, horrible. We all know how bad that stuff was. Well, the last day of summer workouts was like a, was like a Wednesday or, or something. And the guys, bef- like, the day before, a bunch of the older guys are like, because it was a team, the whole team showed up, and it was like a morning workout. Like, everyone was there at, like, 6 a.m. And some of the older guys said, yeah, I think we'll probably just show up, and Smitty's going to have breakfast for us, like McDonald's breakfast and stuff like that. That's what he did last year. So (laughs) Immediately being set up for failure. Yeah, so everyone's like, oh, cool. That's, you know, thank God. Uh, but wake up and everyone in the back of your head, you're thinking, okay, this, he's going to have something cool, like a reward for a good long summer wrong. Okay. No, there was nothing there. And I think that day we ran ramps behind the, behind the, uh, home side of the stadium and it was God awful, just like you would imagine. So because, and I don't know, like if that ever actually happened, the the older guys said it did, but so every year after that, there's that last day of workouts and it's always like a team run and everyone's like, you think this year is, you think this year he'll have something for us? Is there going to be something? You think there'll be breakfast this morning? No, never, ever. I wish no one would have ever told me that. And I wouldn't have thought about it, but every year it's like, man, there's no way, but you're still thinking, but maybe where's my, where's my sausage biscuit and hash browns. And the, the, Feeling of walking up to the duck pond at 6 a.m. thinking there's going to be some tables and breakfast out there to find out there's not is soul-crushing. Oh, <laughs> I, I have a similar story. It just kind of like a throw-you-a-bone throw story that kind of worked against me in the National Football League. So my rookie year with the Titans, we are practicing. We are going into like the third preseason game, right? The starting center, good friend of mine, Brian Schwinky, little banged up. Chris Spencer, veteran guy. It's like his 10th year. He's banged up. 
we are going into a practice. I'm essentially the only healthy center. I'm going to get to take every single rep with the first team. And remember, I am an undrafted guy. This is the opportunity of a lifetime in my mind. You went mind. to sleep the night before, like, oh, this is the Super Bowl Dude, I, mem- I memorized the fucking script. Like, I could have, I could tell you every single play we're now. Sometimes you would audible things, but I could tell you every single play we were about to run to that practice. I knew it. I listen, I was about to ball in practice that day. That was going to be the day I made the team, right? Like, that's how I had it in my head. We warm up, we go through walkthrough. Ken Wesenhut blows the whistle and goes, We're going to the movies. We didn't <laughs> practice. And I, everyone is thrilled. Everyone is thrilled, and I am crushed. Oh, like, my God. I, and I go up to him, I'm like, we couldn't have done it another day. Come on, man. And he looks at me, and he's like, yeah, man, sorry. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it had, obviously hadn't crossed his mind, but it was, it was one of those where, like, everyone was so excited but me. I was like, this is awful. This, this was my chance. And – that week I ended up blowing my knee out, so it didn't matter anyways, really, during the we, preseason game. That's uh, – I can't imagine how horrible that would feel to think, like, here we go. This is it. This it's is going to be my day. I, I talked to my then-girlfriend, now-wife, about it. I was like, tomorrow's the day. Here we go, baby. This is how I cement my name on the 53-man roster. Let's go. I'd been practicing really well up to that point. It was my time to shine. First team all day. Run the show in the huddle. Run the show at the line of scrimmage. False. Did not did not happen that way. Uh, we didn't even practice. We had a uh, a practice when I was in Jacksonville. Um, uh, Jack Del Rio was the head coach, and for whatever reason, it was a later evening practice. I think it was supposed to be maybe um, where you like the simulated game, where you go out and kind of have like a scrimmage and and you simulate the game, and it's a pretty hard practice. Do all the substitutions, yeah. right? Oh. So, and it was later, and we were supposed to be in the main stadium, and there was a thunderstorm came through. And we had us wait. We sat in the locker room for like an hour and a half, and there was still lightning everything. He's like, well, I guess we're not able to – we won't be able to get it in tonight. You guys go ahead. Go home. Get some rest. Get your feet up. Get some good food in you. And uh, we'll see you guys tomorrow. And everyone's like, hell yes. Man, that's one, one less practice. We're good. No, add it on to the schedule the next day. The next day was supposed to be just a one practice day. Uh-uh. No, oh. added, go, went ahead and added her into the schedule there. <laughs> of course. Of course. That's how it always goes. All right, let's get back on track with the OU news. Uh, we heard from some OU players late last week. Creed Humphrey said he never thought about opting out. Of course he didn't. He's a lineman. He also wants to play himself into a no-doubt first-rounder, so I was not surprised when we heard that from Creed, but heard some interesting things from Charleston Rambo, and he basically said, Ted, that he's ready for the challenge of being the number one receiver. There's no doubt that this guy, he has the speed, right? He's a burner. He can go started off really hot last year, really productive, especially in that UCLA game when we made that trip out there to Los Angeles, but kind of just disappeared a little bit in some games last year. Now I know they had C.D. Lamb as their go-to guy. I am fully aware of that. But I'm I'm just wondering, can Rambo take that next step? 
do we think he can be that guy? Because first of all, I really like the kid. Uh, I think he's hilarious, in fact, but he's got the talent. Seems like he's worked on his body a little bit this offseason. I'm excited to see if he can kind of step up and fill that void that C.D. Lamb left because someone's got to. Now I know you want to have wide receivers you know, all over the field that can make plays, but sometimes in games you got to have that go-to guy, right? When the game's on the line, you need a big first down, you know, you need a big play late in the football game, you got to have your go-to guy. And I think Charleston Rambo can be that guy. I mean, typically you would say if you want a go-to guy that everyone in the stadium, everyone on the opposing team knows where the ball's going on third and 12 late in the game whenever you've got to convert, you would say typically you'd want that guy to be a bigger, more physical guy that can go fight for those 50-50 balls. But that's not the case in Oklahoma's offense. It has not been. I don't know if it's ever been that way. Now, CD fit the bill, but I mean, you can go he down also, the list. CD also ended up, especially last year, he played bigger mm-hmm. than he was. I thought, that, I thought he took a big step last year in playing more physical. Like, when you look at his height and his weight, it wasn't some crazy number, right? But he played bigger than he measured. Well, I mean, just look at the Marquise Brown, uh, Shepard, Ryan Broyles, Mark Clayton. I mean, the list of unbelievable wide receivers at Oklahoma is it's as good as any out there. But there's not a whole lot of six foot three, two hundred pound wide receivers. They're not mostly Julio Jones looking dudes. Yeah, it's it's and that's been great for for success here. And Rambo fits that package. So I think in this offense specifically, I think it favors speed a little bit better, favors route running. Um, they're going to throw 50-50 balls up, but that's not a whole lot of what you see in this offense. So I definitely think Rambo can fill that void. Now here's the thing: last year, C.D. Lamb obviously had a big year, huge year. And Jalen Hurts was a little bit different than what we've seen quarterback-wise. He was a one-read, if it's not there, I'm gone quarterback. And you kind of, one way or another, probably are going to get the same thing with Spencer Rattler. Now, I know everyone feels like... you think I, I think he'll be more of a progression guy. I, I think when you look at Spencer Rattler, he's going to be a guy... He's not going to, first of all, the offense is going to look a lot different, but he's not going to be a guy that looks at one dude and then says, oh, I'm going to use my legs and go and get it. He doesn't have the uh, lead in the pencil that Jalen Hurts has. He's a, he's a little more of a slight guy. I think he'll be more a guy that goes through progressions, hits his second, third, fourth option, checks the ball down. I can't imagine he'll be similar to Hurts in that way, do you think? I agree with everything you're saying, but he's a freshman. That's a good point, yeah. And freshman, panic. If it's not there, he's probably going to be a lot more likely to panic and bail and gets outside of the pocket. Man, Baker Baker was the same way as a freshman at at Tech. Now, he didn't have the offensive line there that, that you have at Oklahoma, but it takes it takes a while for a guy to trust that and to be able to really sit in there and go through your progressions. I agree 100% that that's the mold he's going to be whenever he's at his best. But as a freshman, is that what we're going to see this year? So um, I don't know. I, I think that 
needless to say, you know, I think someone's going to have a big year at wide receiver. Maybe it's Rambo. But you go back to Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield's biggest years, just like you were talking about progression-wise, we the ball was spread around a ton. And right. not there wasn't a guy that had just huge output like you saw with C.D. Lamb. Even though C.D. missed uh, quite a bit of time, he had you know some really big games. It's usually spread around more. So I don't know what it's going to be next year. I would tend to lean towards he finds a favorite target, and that kind of depends on play calling and who they call it for. But uh, Rambo's definitely got the skills. But I, I don't see any reason with the, with the speed he's got. I mean, Rambo can be a 1,000-yard guy. Mm-hmm. He can, and just from big dynamic plays. Now, I don't know if he'd be a 1,000-yard, like 10-touchdown guy, but I think he's got the talent to be a 1,000-yard wide receiver. One interesting thing that Charleston Rambo said this week, though, was he said that Kennedy Brooks was still their brother even though he opted out. And I, I thought that, you know, that's probably how the majority of the team feels, if not everyone on that team. Everyone understands Kennedy Brooks making that tough decision. But is it just me? Because I was thinking about it. We had Jason Kersey on a week ago to talk about that. Kennedy Brooks still hasn't said anything publicly. And with it being a full week and all these other guys that have opted out have put out, like, you know, the graphics with the cool stuff and, you know, thanking the fans, thanking their teammates, thanking the coaches, like, Kennedy Brooks hasn't put anything like that on Instagram or Twitter. I don't, I don't know, Ted, but it just seems weird to me. It's very fishy. Um, a guy of Kennedy Brooks stature, you would typically see if he doesn't do it himself, Oklahoma would release a graphic on In their Oklahoma, own. They've got one of the best like graphic departments. I mean, their social media team is top notch. Like, yeah. So I, I don't know. It's just it, it. I don't know a better word other than weird. Like it's just weird that we haven't seen him put anything out publicly yet. I agree. Um, now, I, I don't know if maybe something's still up in the air. I know he hasn't been practicing. I know Rambo verified it by saying, you know, he's 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 still our brother and all that stuff. But I guess nothing is ever official until you kick the first ball off. So maybe it's not official or maybe we'll learn some more stuff about it because um, that is fishy that he hasn't said anything publicly. University hasn't said anything really publicly. I know uh, Rambo's statements about all we've heard, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just, just odd with kind of how big deal. I mean, when your top guys is, is all of a sudden opting out something that you rarely see, um, typically that Lincoln would address that and, you know, people would talk about it. University would talk about it, but it's been quiet. I don't know what that means, I'm, but I'm, I'm not it's trying not to the start. typical opt out situation that we've seen across the country. Right. I'm not trying to start like any sort of conspiracy theory or anything like that, but I just, I just find it odd. I find it weird. Uh, it just, it's been a full week. Haven't heard anything. I don't, I don't know, but This weekend was a big recruiting weekend for Oklahoma football. It looks like the Sooner Summit, organized by Caleb Williams, was a success from what I could tell from some of the pictures that were put on social media. It looked like there was about, I don't know, a dozen, 15 guys that 
are either committed to Oklahoma or they are targets that they're going after. It looked like they did some things in Norman, some things in Oklahoma City, and got on the game field, got on the practice field. Hey, just a reminder, the game field is open to the public, so nothing fishy there. I'm sure that OU didn't break any rules. I know from firsthand experience, Oklahoma's compliance department, very robust and very thorough. So I'm sure that no rules were broken. But it was a great reminder in my mind, Ted, that an elite quarterback can be so pivotal in a recruiting class. And I I don't know that I expected the quarterback to organize essentially an unofficial visit weekend for all the guys. But, I mean, that kid is going all in. I mean, Caleb Williams, hats off to that kid. That That's pretty damn impressive. Yeah, uh, pretty shocking that Hunter Wall, uh, back in my recruiting class, didn't put together uh, a big summit. What the for, hell, Hunter? For all, <laughs> for all of the recruits. Uh, but, man, I think it's awesome. And um, because of the dead period, We've seen throughout this pandemic, starting way back in in March and April, that Oklahoma had to get creative. And whenever all of that stuff has happened, Oklahoma's really been uh, leading the charge or right there with everyone else and finding cool, unique ways to stay engaged with all those those guys. We saw the virtual visit stuff going on, um, and now all of a sudden you've got a a quarterback that, that hosts a Sooner Summit, and it's just really cool stuff. You've, you've got to figure out a way to stay new, stay fresh, and it helps a lot whenever one of the top recruits that you've had recently uh, does something like this and gets that many guys to show up and, and be involved. Yeah, and hopefully he ends up bringing some of those you know top 50-type players into that recruiting class. I know they've got their eyes on a lot of those guys, and some of those guys showed up, so – Good job, Caleb Williams. That a boy. Uh, one other piece of Oklahoma football recruiting news. I can't believe we're talking about recruiting so much on here, but we're, we're recruiting guys now. It's How a about new that? recruiting podcast. Oh, God, no. But uh, <laughs> Kelvin Gilliam, who is a 6'4", 260-pound defensive end from the state of Oof. Virginia. That is a big boy committed to Oklahoma over Penn State and South Carolina this weekend. He is ranked as the number seven weak side defensive end prospect and 104th prospect overall, according to the 24-7 composite. Just looking at his highlights and looking at some of the things he's put on his social medias, that dude's got a frame. And I know he's somewhere between 250 and 260 now. That dude is destined to be a three technique. I mean, you just see the shoulders. If he's already carrying 260 that well, there's no reason he won't be 285 in no time. And just a quick twitch guy that, once again, Grinch and Calvin Thibodeau, they are all about versatile defensive linemen, right? Guys that can play on the edge, but can kick inside in certain packages. Now, Gilliam looks a little raw on tape, but one really encouraging thing about him, He plays hard, and that's kind of a theme we're starting to see with the guys that they're recruiting on the defensive side of the football now is, yes, length, size, but also guys that they're not going to have to coach effort with, and and that's important because you can teach them technique, 
but it's kind of hard to teach a guy to play hard. So I, I liked what I saw, and it, it seemed like a bunch of people were fired up about Kelvin Gill, Gilliam becoming an OU commit. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. And you hit on something there that I think is, is just fantastic. Guys that play hard, that play with a ton of effort, that run to the football all the time. We've all heard coaches say, um, like, I can go to Walmart and find someone there that'll run to the ball as hard as they can every single snap for me. That's like the biggest lie coaches tell. <laughs> it, that is like the most difficult thing to do in all of football. It seems simple. Whenever the ball is snapped, you go as hard as you can until the whistle blows. That would be easy if practice was three reps, but it's not. It goes on and on and on and on and on. It's the same thing in the game. And you get a habit of shutting down a little early. If I, if I, if I take a, a one-second rest on a sprint here, I'm going to save all this energy for the next one and the next one and the next one. You have to train how to eliminate that thought from, from the way that you play. And it's brutally hard. You have to be in unbelievable condition. And very, very rarely do you come across guys that, that have that in their brain that they're never going to slow down. They're going to go as fast as they can every time they step on the field. Yeah, and the, the Gilliam kids' announcement, it was like a WWE promo. It was kind of awesome. I was like, look at this kid go. You like it? Come to Oklahoma, brother. I was just like, okay, this kid uh, this kid will fit in nicely. Uh, one piece of Oklahoma State football news comes out this weekend that former Washington State wide receiver Tay Martin announced that he will be transferring to Oklahoma State 6'3", 190. I mean, big-time target. Been pretty productive there at Washington State. His career stats, 143 catches, 1,615 yards, 18 touchdowns. So, I mean, pretty productive guy. Now, he's not a grad transfer, so it's a little interesting. But I think Oklahoma State feels pretty good about his chances of getting – a waiver to be eligible immediately because, well, I don't know if you guys have heard this, but the Pac-12, they canceled football this fall. And he's also come out and said that he is transferring Oklahoma State to be closer to his daughter. So uh, I think that's a big factor. Now let's decide now, Teddy. Uh, we talked about the Cade Mays situation. Do we think this guy's going to get granted an immediate eligibility waiver? Because – it's really kind of a crapshoot with the NCA. Is daughter and football where I play being canceled, are those two big enough factors to get him immediate eligibility? It seems like a pretty convincing case for Tay Martin to be ready to go at Oklahoma State immediately. Mm. <laughs> That's about all you got to say, right? Who knows? Uh, maybe. Um Step right up and spin the waiver wheel and see what it lands on. Who knows what's going to happen? Um, I would say, yes, he's going to get his waiver, but it wouldn't surprise me if he didn't. I mean, I honestly think it's a matter of whose desk it lands on on a given day. I really do. And if you go and fight it tooth and nail, you'll probably be able to get it. But, I mean – if the Pac-12 is not playing and you've got any reason in the world to, to transfer somewhere, you would think that you'd be granted the, the, the waiver. But here's the other thing. 
maybe they don't want a huge rush of people doing it, so they shut it down and don't give the immediate immediate eligible uh, eligibility. I don't know. My gut tells me, yes, he's going to get it. They seem like they're being more and more uh, loose with giving away the media eligibility waiver, but I, don't, I really don't – I don't know the, the correct formula, and I don't know that anyone does. Yeah, but you can never have too much talent at wide yeah. receiver, especially – It would be hard like to get on – I mean, they've got a good receiver core. Yeah, there's no doubt, and it sounds like – well, once again, you're hoping Tylen Wallace is getting back to form right coming off the knee but it sounds like they've had a couple guys opposite of Tylen Wallace those outside wide receivers that have missed a couple practices been banged up a little bit so hey you can never have too much talent and you can tell a wide receiver pretty quickly what to do right it's yeah. not the most uh complex position so we'll, well see what happens we'll see what I happens with Tay Martin say, there in Stillwater I usually say with transfers um yeah, well, we'll just wait and see if he ever steps on the field because um, I always feel like there's probably a reason why the guy's transferring and why he's, you know, not very productive where he's at. But he's got decent numbers. Here's the thing, though. Washington State is going to be way different without Mike Leach there. So, and the way that he runs his quarterbacks and throws the football, uh, yeah, I wouldn't – I mean – you, I can't look at this transfer and say, and, and look at it and say, eh, I don't, I don't think it's going to turn out or turn into anything. They has got a chance uh, with those numbers, the production he's put out there, probably have a chance to make some impact. Yeah, we'll see. Once again, uh -huh. we'll see. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the National College Football Roundup, and that is brought to you by Insurica. Do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A dot com. All right, Teddy, it is finally official. The NCAA Division I Board of Directors voted to give all student-athletes in fall sports an additional year of eligibility, which clearly includes all of the college football players. So, college football players can participate in games in the fall or even in the spring, if that happens, which it won't. And it doesn't count as a year of eligibility. A lot of players have been worried about losing this season when it came to their eligibility. Now, I think there seems to be some confusion about ex how exactly this is going to work, so I'm going to try to clear it up for people. The seniors get an extra year, and they won't count towards scholarship limits if they come back next year. Okay, so you're going to have some super seniors, right? That seems simple enough. Now, underclassmen, it's a little different. Underclassmen will get a waiver that they can use to extend their eligibility, but after next year, 
those players will count against scholarship and roster limits. So good luck to whoever has to keep track of that. But the interesting thing about all of this is just because they have an extra year of eligibility doesn't mean the school has to provide them their scholarship. Schools can choose whether or not to keep providing financial aid to these kids if they want to come back for an extra year. Last time I checked, we talk about it all the time, schools aren't exactly in the best financial situations. Football scholarships, especially at a place like what? Stanford, Northwestern. I mean, some of these schools, those are not cheap scholarships. So this could get a little ugly, maybe even a little embarrassing for some guys when they go, hey, yeah, I want to come back. And the school goes, that's great, man. We don't want you back. Sorry. I, I, I mean, this, this just seems like a total mess. Oh, it's going to be a shit show for sure. There's no doubt. I, I'm, still, I'm still shocked. I, I don't understand why they would give an extra year of eligibility to a guy that plays an entire season. I mean, explain that to me. They don't want to get sued? I don't know. That's, that's the only answer I have, right, is there was some group of lawyers that went, hey, with some kids playing and some kids not, let's just make a blank, blanket rule and let's avoid all of the lawsuits. Like, that's, that's my only thought. Honestly, when I saw it, I was like, well, yeah, that makes sense, I guess, for the guys that aren't playing. But, I mean, the Big 12 and the SEC and the ACC, like, they look determined to play. Yeah. So, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I it's it's going to be a hilarious if, disaster. But I, I do feel good for the kids. Like, hey, you get an extra year of college? That's kind of awesome. I would understand if you played six games, the season got canceled, you get a year of eligibility back. I understand that. I would understand if you played the regular season, couldn't play the Big 12 championship game. I would understand that. I would even understand if you played the regular season, played the Big 12 championship, played the first round of the playoffs, and then couldn't play the national championship. I would understand that. But I don't understand how you could play an entire full season, win a national championship, hold the trophy up there on the platform in the confetti, and it not even count as a year of eligibility. I just don't get that. I mean – Hey, what were we saying earlier? Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. but hey, it's, I, I guess with how weird this year has been. And remember, we saw this in the spring, right? Mm-hmm. And we saw schools come out and say, hey, we don't have the money to bring all you guys back. Like we saw schools come out and say, we can't bring you guys back on scholarship. We're sorry. And we're kind of already seeing what might need to happen for teams to bring football players back for extra years of eligibility. Like you already see schools cutting sports, furloughing athletic department employees. I mean, you, you just look, we saw Nebraska furlough 
51 staff members for four months. I mean, they announced that this weekend, and they also said that all their other athletic department staffers are going to take a 10% cut the rest of the year. So, like, that was before this even got announced. So, I know that everyone's going to get the ability to have an extra year of eligibility, but the effects that this could have when it comes to the finances for school, and then what happens to the high school kids, right? With these underclassmen that will count against scholarship limits and roster sizes down the line, like what does that do to the kids that are coming out from high school that year that are trying to get into college football programs. I I'm with you, Teddy. It doesn't make a ton of sense for the kids whose seasons got canceled. It makes perfect sense in my mind, but this is going to end up undoubtedly being a complete mess for the people in college football. It is, there's no doubt. Well, I mean, think of this man. And I don't know how, how this is, I guess it's the same timeline, but let's say you're a senior who you've been a, maybe a multi-year starter. Uh, there's a chance that maybe you're a, a late round draft pick or maybe catch on as a unsigned free agent or undrafted free agent somewhere. Now you've got to make a decision if you're going to declare for the draft or use your extra year of eligibility. Start your master's. Yeah, it, I mean, it's, it gives a, a, there's a whole nother level of decision making in there. And if, remember that the new signing period is in December, the window to declare for the draft is in January, right? So if you've got an outgoing senior that may or may not come back, you'd like to have a, it was a starter another year, but. Maybe he's not sure. Maybe he gets uh, hurt in the bowl game and is like, I'm not going to get drafted or anything anywhere. Maybe I, how are you going to know who to sign and, and who not to? Because some of these younger guys, as you said, are going to count against roster limits and scholarship counts. Could you see, and th this is going to happen, there's going to be some schools that say, hey, guys, I know you have that extra eligibility, but we're not bringing any of y'all back. Like there's just, just no, just uh, everyone. I mean, because what kind of look is it going to be if a coaching staff goes, we want you, we want you, sorry, man. Yeah. You really don't make the cut. We want you. And that's, that's not going to be a good look. Like, even if it makes perfect sense, like they want a couple guys that have been starting for a while that maybe could use another year to put things on tape. Like I just, I just don't know if – and listen, college football is cutthroat. There's no doubt about it. But some coaches are going to be like, yeah, we're just not going to deal with that. We're not going to deal with that. So we'll, we'll see. And you got to remember, some of these decisions may not be up to the coaches. You could have yeah. athletic directors go, nope, too expensive. Got to let them move on. Got yeah. to let them go free. They've got their eligibility – but they're going to get their financial aid from someone else. I mean, that's, that's a very real scenario as well. Yeah. And, you know, there's other stuff that's – there's a lot of guys that get hurt and don't get medical red shirts and end up missing big chunks of, of a season and still don't get a medical. So if you've got this in your back pocket 
for a guy and, and you can pull that out if you don't get a medical that would help too so right i don't know it's, really good point it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see how all this stuff shakes out dude i'm telling you like the next year or two years in college football is going to be the wild west with all this stuff happening you you the net the uh name image and likeness stuff coming online the everyone's going to have an extra year of eligibility in their the back blanket pocket. eligibility waiver. This is, Dude, this is going to be awesome. I'm glad I don't have to solve any of these problems, yeah. but it's I can't be awesome wait. to watch, not I to deal with it. <laughs> can't wait to observe all of this. It's going to be awesome. All right, let's check in on our friends in the sec and the conference added a third weekly test prior to games and kind of followed the big 12s lead by adding enhanced screening for myocarditis and other heart issues for the players that end up testing positive for COVID-19. And I think this is kind of just the standard now, right? In college football, we saw the heart issues playing a big role, being a big talking point for why the Pac-12 decided to cancel, why the Big Ten decided to cancel. I think the SEC fully intends on playing their entire season. And they added these heart protocols because they said, you know what? This can cover our ass the most. And once again, they do care about the kids, but this, this seems like it's just going to be standard for anyone that's playing football this fall. Yeah, no, I, I think so. Um, it's smart. Any extra layer of protection that you can add in, um and let's be honest is this is incredibly cheap incredibly easy to do for everyone i think it's like 50 bucks it only takes like maybe a half hour and you know if you're not having to do it for every single player once a week or something like that you're only doing it for guys that test positive it's a very very uh minor financial issue time issue all of those things so it makes a ton of sense to add that as an extra layer uh, for liability reasons, as you pointed out, and just to make sure your guys are safe and healthy. Yeah, for the kids' long-term health, you, you want to make sure the old ticker is doing just fine after these kids test positive for the virus. Now, we did see some videos of kids at Auburn, some videos of kids at Bama partying, and you saw Bama's president come out on Twitter and say, well, guys, if this gets any worse – then we'll probably have to go all online. That is probably going to happen. That would not surprise me one bit. There's probably a small part of that Alabama president that is going, yeah, I hope that happens because then it means football happens for sure. I wonder, what do you think the... Do you think they thought they weren't going to party? Like, serious question. Like, did did college presidents, did they really think that the college kids weren't going to party? Like, there's no way they actually thought that. I mean, to be a college president, you've got to be you got to be really intelligent, and you got to be more than just book smart. You got to have a little street smarts too. You got to have some people skills, right? Some people skills. So, anyone that has any amount of people skills, street smarts, common sense would say, as soon as the college kids show up on campus, they're going to party like crazy. So, I'm saying that yes, hopefully they knew. My question is. Because I know what parents' answer is. Uh, do the kid, do the students, college students, want to go all online? Ooh, I that's, mean, because that, that means you don't have to park, you don't have to wake up and go sit through class, you don't have to get dressed, you don't have to get ready. 
you can just from your your dorm room or your apartment whatever do your classes that way i mean i know it's not traditional and that's part of the reason you're there and i know parents are like if i'm paying for you to go i want you to go but for kids i wonder what they they think because if the auburn president's going to say man if this partying gets any worse and and people are um you know going to continue to pass the virus around we'll have to go all online is everyone like, yes, keep drinking, keep partying. Let's go. Um, like, I don't know what the students think about that. My initial response is that the students would want to push the boundaries far enough to where it gets into like the hybrid model, right? Where they're partying just enough to where some is online, some is in person, but they don't make all the kids go home, right? So right. you can keep partying. Yeah, so that's that, right. If it's you got to find that online, sweet spot. The kids' parents are going to say, get your ass home. I'm not paying for, you know, wherever you're living up there. You can do that from home. Yeah, so I, I think finding that balance, right? If you're a college student right now, you, you, wanna, you certainly want to push the boundaries, but you don't want to make it go overboard to where the university president goes, all right, see ya. We're kicking you all out of student housing. Bye. Like that, you would be like, ah, oh, I didn't see that coming. I, I, I don't think that's really what I wanted. Now, Vanderbilt paused practice after some players tested positive. I'm sure those guys aren't having any fun in Nashville at all. That's a, that's a boring town. No one has a good time in Nashville. I'm sure it'll be, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah. I'm I'm curious to see what happens when Oklahoma has some guys test positive because it's coming, right? If it I mean, if it hasn't happened already while they're practicing, I would say that it has. But whenever it does, what are they going to do? That's I mean, the that's the million dollar question, right? Because like, what's the threshold of when you shut it down? Right. Is it five guys? Is it 10? Is it two? Who knows what that threshold is? Well, with how aggressive Oklahoma did, it really wouldn't be, and this sounds bad, once again, the coronavirus is bad. Don't want any of these kids to get it. But it seems like the thing that could cause Oklahoma to shut down would be the contact tracing stuff right? Because they've been pretty intense about that. And I know they've been there. They got all the guys wearing masks and practice and kudos to those guys for policing each other about all that stuff. But that is where I think it could get interesting when you start saying, okay, well, this guy tested positive. Who did he hit last practice? Like that, that is where you could see a small number all of a sudden turn into a big number. Speaking of that, let's check in on our friends in the ACC and an update on North Carolina and Notre Dame. Just a reminder, they paused activities last week, even though North Carolina went all virtual for undergraduates. How about this? Their football team will still be allowed to remain in university housing and they will resume practice on Monday. Now, when I saw this, I was not surprised because the ACC is going to play football. They have every intention of playing football. 
But then I had an idea, Ted, and I think you will love this idea. If I'm Mac Brown, if I'm the head coach at North Carolina, I go to the administration sneakily, maybe under the cover of darkness. I don't know. Maybe I wear a cloak. I, I don't know. But I ask if I can move all my players into the newly vacated on-campus housing. And I try to form the closest thing. I try to create the closest thing to a bubble as possible. I don't say anything about it publicly. I just do it quietly. Don't tell a soul. Tell the kids, don't even tell your parents. Don't tell anyone. And I make a true athletic dorm like back in the day. That's what I would do. I mean, that's really what I would do if I was Mac Brown. They're telling these kids to leave, but some other athletes and the football players can stay. I tell all my upperclassmen that may be living off campus, I say, guys, come on, come get in the bubble. I don't trust you. Come get in this bubble, and we will all be in this together. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's interesting. It's It may be illegal, but – once again, well, I'm not I, a lawyer. I, mean, I don't know that. I don't know that the NCAA during this year would say, "How dare you try and keep your guys in a bubble from getting the coronavirus?" You know, like we're going to hit you with some type of uh, sanctions. I don't think that would happen, but it does create an interesting issue as far as like, do you get a scholarship check for? Like it would have to be totally free because those people would still have to li- pay for their houses and apartments off campus that they've got. Um, just have the athletic department just buy out the leases. I mean, <laughs> here's the other thing: um, some places, I think University of Texas, I think their guys live on campus the whole time they're there. So some places already have that kind of, you know, as far as I don't know what North Carolina's is like, but. Some places don't allow the the football players to live off of campus at all. So um, that is, if they could pull off a bubble, I know they would. I know they absolutely would. But that's funny, man. That everyone's going to be gone except for the football team because everything else has been canceled. Yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a couple other athletes. I think they're letting stick around. They're still holding on hope, right? But yeah, I I, I think we all understand what this is about, right? I, there's there's no mysteries anymore. I mean, football makes money, and that's why football needs to be played. Like, we don't have to sugarcoat that. Uh, Notre Dame announced late last week that they had five positives. I think there were six other guys that were being held in isolation because of contact tracing. Now, they didn't practice on Thursday or Friday, but as I was going through their official football Twitter this weekend – Kind of make it seem like they practiced this weekend. They didn't have any sort of formal announcement or anything from the school or even the football program. So I was a little confused. Maybe they didn't practice, but it doesn't seem like they're going to be holding out very long if they haven't already practiced. I was, I was a little confused, but the bottom line is football continues to roll on even when campuses are having these clusters, outbreaks, whatever you want to call them. I mean, 
it just seems like these schools have said, you know what? We're going to play football. Like these kids are going to get the coronavirus, but we're going to play. I, I, that's just kind of how I feel as these teams keep doing the same thing over and over, Tim. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. It, I mean, there was a time whenever positive tests on a team would feel like, oh my God, this is going to shut everything down. But that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. My question is like, why is Notre Dame shutting down anyway? I mean, I know they had five positives, but if you're only going to shut down for two days, that doesn't do anything. Incubation period, as far as they have said, can be up to 10 to 14 days. So really, you'd have to stop for 10 days to make sure that no one has it before you move on. And I know they're not going to do that. So I don't know why they don't just plow through it. I guess to say that we've had some positives, we're shutting down. So everyone says, oh, okay, good. I don't know. Yeah, I think they retested them on Friday. I, I don't know. And I, I, could, I couldn't tell because they were putting out like hype videos on Saturday. And Sunday. I was like, well, did they practice? But there were, there were no details that I could find. So I, maybe they did, maybe they didn't, but it doesn't it's a seem. a video for whenever they come back and start practicing again. <laughs> it's, it's, to get the fans, it's to get the fans going for when they return to practice. But Notre Dame was kind of that school in my mind that, okay, I was kind of going to gauge things off because of how seriously they take academics and kind of how seriously they take how they're presented from a PR standpoint. And if they're going to work through this stuff and keep practicing, then I feel good about anybody doing it. Yeah. I really do. I, I just, I saw that and I was like, well, this, this is good. This is good for football being played. <laughs> Notre Dame's money, already back at it. Yeah. They take money more serious than they do all of those other things. So <laughs> exactly. they're going to be out there balling. All right. Let's check in on our favorite dumpster fire. Uh, and that is Big Ten football. Of course, a group of Big Ten parents protested outside Big Ten headquarters on Friday. Sean Wade's dad, Randy, somehow convinced like 25 other parents to join him. And Teddy, it was as hilarious as I was hoping it would be. I cannot decide what was funnier. Their let us play chant when I was like, you're not playing? What are you, what are you talking about? Or the fact that there is no one in the Big Ten offices right now. So they're doing a chant of let us play to an empty building because Kevin Warren and the rest of the conference office staff are working from home. So everything about this Big Ten situation makes me laugh. Every single thing. It, this continues to get funnier and funnier for me. Apparently, they don't know how to protest properly. Uh, they should have taken a play out of the, the Portland playbook and taken a guillotine outside of the Big Ten offices and draped some Big Ten flags over it and burn them uh, <laughs> on the guillotine like they did in Portland with the American flags. That's how you protest. That's how you get people's attention. <laughs> but I, I know that those Big Ten parents, they – they just want some answers. They want transparency from the league. They want to know how each university president voted so that they can know if they should protest at their campus or not. But it's just so silly. And it, it got even sillier 
when it came out that some Nebraska parents are threatening to sue the Big Ten if they don't release the specific information they want that led to the postponement decision. Monday at noon, right? High noon. They better have it. They've set their deadline, and they want the info. They want it now, and nothing makes me laugh more than frivolous lawsuits. I love them. Um, Apparently, the the, we've talked about it a little bit, but the loss, the guy doing the lawsuit knows how to go after the NCAA and the conferences and all that stuff. So. Uh, at a minimum, I'm sure we're going to learn quite a bit about what exactly went down with the the, the decision making. Which honestly, I'd like to kind of peek into, see what happened. I I will say this: I've been giving Kevin Warren a very hard time. He has not gotten any help from the Big Ten presidents. They have put him out front to take all the bullets. I mean, it's just – I feel bad for the guy. I mean, I know he's new in the role, but they're just letting him take all the heat. It's kind of messed up in my mind. It's like they don't want to be responsible for the decisions that they made. So, And I know that he works for them, and part of his job is to take the criticism when stuff like this happens. Like, I get it, but damn, man, can't you, like, help him out a little bit? This guy is just getting roasted left and right. You know, we found out one of the reasons uh, conferences and leagues uh, have a commissioner. It's for whenever stuff goes bad, all the people involved can go, hey, <laughs> don't look at me. That's the commissioner. You need to go talk to the commissioner. I know I was in the room and I voted and, and he works for us and everything, but hey, you go talk to him. He's the commissioner. You catch all the arrows when you're the commissioner. That's part of the job. He gets the big paycheck. I don't know. Oh, I just I kind of feel bad for him, but that's not going to stop me from continuing to make fun of the dumpster fire that is Big Ten football. All right, Ted, let's move on to our segments. And since it's Monday, you're going to get some football guys talking about basketball. Yeah, football guys talking basketball, FGTB. And that is brought to you by Tim Hughes Custom Homes. Are you looking to build your dream home? If so, Tim Hughes is the man you're looking for. Tim Hughes Custom Homes is a one-stop shop for all your home building needs. He can find you a lot. He can find you an architect. He'll find you financing. And of course, he can build your dream home exactly the way you want it. Sounds too good to be true. Well, Tim found my wife and me a lot. He found us an architect and built our new home. Tim and his team were so easy to work with. In fact, he found me a pool guy this weekend and the pool guy did a really good job. So I think we may keep him. He's also built several office buildings. So if your your business is looking to build a custom office, Tim Hughes is your man. You can see Tim's custom builds throughout Gallardia, Nichols Hills, Oak Tree, Stone Mill, and Rose Creek. It is a great time to build the house of your dreams. For more information and to see Tim's spectacular work, visit his Instagram page at Tim Hughes Custom Homes or visit timhughescustomhomes.com. The Thunder got a big win in game three over the Houston Rockets, and it did not start off well, Ted. I mean, well, it was five points in like seven minutes of game play, and it didn't look like it was going to end very well for the good guys, but it turned into one hell of a basketball game. The Thunder... They really got more aggressive 
and ramped up the pace, which, I mean, we saw Billy Donovan yelling, run, run, run. But the end of that game is, I mean, the only thing we're, we're going to talk about because the end of that fourth quarter was pretty wild. When you saw it, it seemed like Chris Paul had made just a huge mistake fouling James Harden before the ball was inbounded. Now, I want to make it clear. Everything that I despise about NBA basketball was encapsulated in that one play. Two guys flopping, trying to draw a foul, and I was just like, this is disgusting. Like, it it made me so sad. And, of course, like any other Thunder fan, I was yelling that the foul was on Harden. He was grabbing him. He pulled him down. But in my head, I was like, this is gross. It, It was, ugh. But... They got so they got the free throw and the ball, but then Houston turned it over, right? So SGA hits the biggest shot of his career so far to put the Thunder up one. Houston misses the free throw. Chris Paul's game winner in regulation was interesting to say the least. I, I don't know about you, Ted, but I prefer my game winning attempts. I, I prefer the guys to be able to see the basket when they shoot them. Well, I was curious about that too. And after he. Like, I like my guy looking at the goal when he's attempting to win the game, you know? It, that, maybe I'm crazy. Well, here's the thing I was curious about that, that last sequence and why he ended up with that shot. And right after he attempts the shot and they're walking back to their bench, I think he was looking at maybe Dort and he's like, Where were you? Like, he was supposed to be somewhere and as he drove he was looking for him and there was no one home so he had to throw up a a, you know behind the back layup but maybe that's him just trying to blame it on someone else I don't know it was but it was just weird it was not the best look at the end of the game yeah but then they get into overtime Dort fouls Harden out early in OT and the Thunder dominated from that moment on Uh, CP3 despite the weird game-winning attempt in regulation, hits a couple of beautiful threes. I mean, it, yeah, extremely difficult shots. It really steps up in that overtime. And he hit that one. He, like, threw it. And it, uh, Austin Rivers, like, whatever, dude. <laughs> yeah, fine. Fine. That's one where you just shrug. You go, okay, nice shot, man. But it, it wasn't always pretty from the Thunder in game three. But it was, when you, when you look at the stats, it was a balanced attack. You got big games from Schroeder, CP3, and Shea, which seems like what they're going to have to do to make this, I mean, a really competitive series. But it was a big-time win. It, it was a game where I think it showed you a lot about the Thunder because it was not going well. They could have kind of packed it in and said, you know what? This team's better than us. They've got our number. They're hitting all kinds of shots. James Harden, he's the best player on the floor. They could have just packed it in. I, I think yeah. they're, that, that game almost reached that point. And I thought they showed a lot of character. I did. Yeah. And I, I know I sound like a homer when I say that, but they battled their asses off, and that was a big-time win. I mean, once again, the most clutch team in the league, right, when you look at it statistically – but that was a fun basketball game to watch. It really was. It was. It was great. I feel like maybe 
Schroeder's starting to get over some of the rust after being away because he hadn't seemed like himself. The daddy rust. Yeah, I mean, hadn't really seemed like himself, but had a big game. That's what they're going to have. It's going to take that, man. And uh, you never want to say that something is a must win if you're not literally fighting off elimination. But you felt like if they didn't get that one, they weren't going to have a chance. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I mean – you don't go down 3-0 to the Rockets because all it takes is them one game where they're just hot well, from three and it's over quick, you know what still, I mean? Still, even in game four, it's like every game, after giving up the first two, every game now, like the seesaw battle is over. Uh, you can't afford to give it No, They're coming back it's to like, Oklahoma City. The crowd's <laughs> going to affect it. It's like, no, that's – it's, and that's what makes this thing so interesting. Now, you mentioned game four. Game four is Monday at 3 p.m. on TNT, <laughs> which the Thunder, I guess, just are going to keep getting shitty game times, which it okay, fine. I Playoff whatever. basketball, just like you love it. Monday at 3 o'clock on a work day, baby. Perfect, perfect. Um, I wonder if we will see more of that lineup we saw in overtime with Gallinari at the five. They dominated in overtime with it. I'm sure that Billy Donovan will go with it a little earlier in the game. I know we all love Steven Adams. We all love Nerland's Noel, but the bottom line is Steven Adams may not have the biggest role the rest of this series. And I know he's dealing with the knee issue, but they look awfully good with those three guards out there with Gallinari playing the five. It allows him kind of to just, float around a little bit, guard P.J. Tucker, as P.J. Tucker just sits in the corner. So I'm curious. And then I do wonder for Lou Dort, who, first of all, I think Doris Burke is a big Lou Dort guy. She was so complimentary of Dort, and for good reason. You talk about – that's got to be the biggest bargain in the NBA, right? You got an undrafted guy playing at that level. Gordon James Harden, I mean – making the plays he made in that fourth quarter in that overtime, like, it's unbelievable what the Thunder have gotten with what they're paying him. I mean, that, that's got to be the best contract in the league. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, we even talked about it whenever he, he re-upped. It was like, wait a second. What, he, what, Is that what's the, the most person? they could give him? It's like, geez, I mean, that, that's about all you can ask for for a guy that's a – uh, a heavy rotational guy that heck you could you know play him as many minutes as you want and price per minute is way down from what you're paying Chris Paul at 40 plus million dollars a year yep that's that's definitely one way to look at it but I, I will say and I'm hoping that I'm right I think Dort had a bit of an aha moment in overtime when he realized that he just doesn't have to shoot the wide open three that he can put his head down and take it to the rack. And Houston does not have a rim protector. Mm-hmm. And they also don't have very many guys that want to step in front of that guy. Nope. So I'm wondering, and once again, I feel bad for him because they're leading him wide open. They're giving him the Robertson treatment now, which he was, he was shooting the three so well before the knee, before he hurt his knee and missed those couple games. Like, what happened to his confidence? Okay, that's probably a different discussion, but he did some really good things in overtime. He put his head down, got to the rim, and he also started cutting a little more. 
and got, got an easy basket that way. So I wonder if we'll see that translate to game four a little more. Him not settling for that perimeter jump shot and saying, you know what? I'm a big, strong dude. I'm going to take it to the rack, and let's see if these guys want to stop me. Well, that's what we talked about uh, before the series ever even started is making Harden work on the defensive side. He, he wants to sit there and hang out next to the paint and halfway close out on an open three-pointer. That's what he wants to do. Exactly. He doesn't want Dort to put the shoulder down, put the ball on the floor, and take him to the rack over and over and over. He'll get in foul trouble. Um, it takes a toll physically. So, yeah, I mean, I'm all for that. Yeah, so we'll see. Maybe maybe the mentality changes. What's the Westbrook? Uh, it, it, I haven't heard anything as of Sunday night at 9.15 p.m., but I, I can't imagine he's ready to go. The latest report on him is like, oh, yeah, he had started shooting some jump shots in practice. So it, I think Houston wants to wait as long as possible with him. I think that they think they can win this series without him. And it's up to the Thunder to kind of force him to come back. That's a dangerous gamble for, I mean, I know whenever they get Russell Westbrook back, that's going to help them a lot. But, you know, they're a team that kind of plays on, on rhythm and flow and getting guys involved. And whenever you thrust a another ball-dominant guy back into the mix like Russell Westbrook that kind of changes up your rhythm a little bit, at least temporarily. So, I right, and they've been It's a big gamble. We saw him shoot, what was it, 55 or 56 threes in game two. Game three, they shot 50 more. So, they, they clearly have their strategy mapped out, and things do change. They'll still shoot a ton of them, but Westbrook changes a lot of things. So, I would love to see the guy play, but – I also – I think Thunder have a better chance of beating him if he does it. So, take your time, Russ. Just take your time. We all want you to be healthy. All right, Ted, let's move on to our winners and losers of the weekend. And winners and losers are brought to you by Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs. They'll help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatments for men and women. Their licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection. All right, Ted, who do you have as your winner of the weekend? Um, As my winner, I'm going to go with the folks out there that are craving some conference realignment. Ooh, tell yeah. me more. Saw a little article in ESPN talking about what conference realignment may look like and, and what could happen and when it may happen. And I may have possibly heard a thing or two about some conference realignment and maybe it could be happening sooner than we ever thought. All right, hold on. Hold on. I just want to clarify. Mm -hmm. are, are you saying little birdies are uh, maybe chirping a little something to you? Is that, is um, that what you're are – you, are, 
are you saying sources or are you just saying let's go with little birdies little birdies i i am a bird watcher Gabe. <laughs> so yes uh there's there's been some there's been some chirping going on out there and you know if you would have asked anyone in the know about conference realignment in january or february if it would happen before the grant of rights situation they would have told you there is a zero percent chance of that happening zero but right now if you ask the same people if there's a chance of conference realignment happening, they'd probably tell you that there's a 50% chance of it happening. Whoa. And a 50% chance of it happening within a calendar year. Okay. Okay, the birds are chirping so loudly. <laughs> My God, what? There's because of the revenue situation because of the angst between different schools and different presidents and the way that everything has lined up that there is a a real look at whether or not this is the time to change things and the biggest piece of the pie is espn who holds the rights to the majority of the games and According to the people who would know, ESPN wants to play ball on the situation. So Ooh. that throws a throws a, uh, a position into the fire that could really help out. Now, what that means for the grant of rights and all the different things that go on and what that means for Oklahoma and where Oklahoma would end up, I don't exactly know. Um, all of that stuff is way above my pay grade. I'm not the commissioner. <laughs> I'm not taking the arrows. You're, so you're just an ornithologist, is, <laughs> studier, oh. a, a, one that studies birds. Bet you didn't yes. know I knew that. No, I I didn't know that. I bet you didn't know that I didn't know that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so stupid. But if you are craving some conference realignment, stay tuned. It could be happening. Okay. You, you have my attention, sir. <laughs> All right. Who do you have as your loser of the weekend, Ted? The loser is, and I know we hit on this a little bit earlier, but the loser is the Big Ten. And I read an article on 24sports.com or 247sports.com, excuse me, and it's kind of tied into the, the lawsuit that um, has been filed and what they're wanting to see from the Big Ten. But I thought this was interesting. Kevin Warren sat in for all of the athletic directors in the meeting with the presidents and chancellors. And according to the article, 100% of the athletic directors in the Big Ten were in favor of playing in the fall. And according to the article... 14 of 14? All of them. Every athletic director in the Big Ten was in favor of playing in the fall. Now, Warren is the one who sat in on the meeting with the presidents and chancellors. None of the athletic directors were actually in that meeting, so they weren't able to discuss exactly what went on and lay their positions out 
But apparently Kevin Warren, who all along, according to some of the athletic directors who were questioned for this article, has been pushing and pushing and pushing for a spring season, would rather do it in the spring. So just listen to this article. The athletic directors don't feel like their position was really felt in that room with the, with the presidents and chancellors of the Big Ten. So you're telling me that we should just go ahead and put a little more lighter fluid on that Big Ten dumpster fire. That's what it looks like. I mean, okay. I, don't, I don't know exactly how the whole thing went down, but I know there's some, some of the athletic direct, directors out there are upset that they didn't have a chance to be in the room whenever the decision was going down and at least voice their opinion on the matter and why they felt that way. Yeah, that would make sense. I mean, 14 out of 14 – said they wanted fall football, and then, huh. Yeah, that's not a good look, especially good, probably a good time to remind everyone that Kevin Warren has a son that is uh, going to play college football this fall. Yeah. In the SEC. I know. So, it's crazy. We'll what see. if we find out it was 7-7 seven and seven and the deciding vote was Kevin Warren in, in favor of moving it to the spring? for the Then I think Kevin Warren's going to be looking for a new job really soon. <laughs> that's what I think. All right, Ted, my winner of the weekend. I had a couple options. I could have gone with Luka Doncic with what he did to the Clippers. I could have gone with the Ravens for getting rid of the headache. That is Earl Thomas, especially if they can void that $10 million guaranteed they owe him for something like conduct detrimental with that fight in practice. But I'm going to go political, and I know nothing about this man's politics. Absolutely nothing. He could be a scumbag. He could be the best guy in the world. I have no idea. I want to make that clear. But Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves caught my attention this weekend. Once again, know nothing about his policies. If he's a bad guy, I do not support him. But I know he understands his constituents, and I know he understands PR because he had an unenviable task this weekend and that was announcing the safety measures for college football in the state of Mississippi. He announced that people are going to have to wear masks coming in and out of the stadiums and walking around the campuses. But then he dropped this absolute fire tweet, quote, I know this will not be popular, but there will be no game day social gatherings around stadiums, rallies, parties, tailgates. It's no fun but it's what allows the athletes to play. I'd still rather be in the SEC with no tailgates than the Pac-12 or Big Ten with no football. End tweet. That is, first of all, hilarious. Extremely well done. I mean, genius PR move. Because when you put it that way, I know some of the what, Mississippians, Mississippites, Mississippians, right? Mississippians. It's got to be Ians, yes, Ians. that's right. They can only be so mad after their governor roasts the Pac-12 and Big Ten like that. And when you put it into that perspective, you go, yeah, man, I guess, uh, I mean, he's right. And we'll see. I'm sure the people at Ole Miss and Southern Miss and Mississippi State, I'm sure they still won't get together before the football yeah. games, I'm sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm sure the Grove will be empty before right. Lane Kiffin and the boys kick off. Okay. If you're going to 
if you're going to release a, a statement that's got a bunch of things in there that people don't want to hear, hammering the Big Ten and the Pac-12 is the spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down, isn't it? See, that's, that's what I'm saying. It was brilliant. I was like, wow, that guy made me laugh while saying there's not going to be any tailgating in Mississippi. I was this, like, that was very well done. The, the tailgating situation is fascinating to me. How, how you, you regulate it, I mean, I guess you're kind of hoping that everyone just kind of follows the rules, but if a guy is standing by his parked car or truck with a tailgate and is having a beverage, that's fine. But if him and the person he came to the game with are doing it, is that it, do two people constitute a tailgate or is it four or well, is it eight? I saw something. I think it was Florida State is doing like, and it's for like their booster club. Only, I want to say, they're doing, like, social distancing tailgating where people have to be, like, six feet apart from, like, their family and friends. And so I was like, okay, I guess that can work. But once again, how this stuff is going to be enforced, like, I saw Texas Tech come out with some no tailgating regular. Like, who's going to enforce those people in love? Like, who's going to make them not tailgate? Good luck. Here's the thing about – Here's the thing about Texas Tech. Um, if you go to Texas Tech on a game day, they have a pretty robust tailgating situation going on around that stadium. It's pretty good. There's a lot of partying going on. If you – like the people that go to Texas Tech games are alumni. Lubbock's a small place. And alumni drive in from all over the place to go to those games. And if there's limited capacity already and there's no tailgating, dude, there ain't going to be nobody at those games. Here's the Texas Tech announcement. All Texas Tech-sponsored tailgating events have been canceled for the 2020 season. Lots will open three hours prior to kickoff. All personal tailgating should be limited to no more than 10 people in accordance with the state order for outdoor gatherings, no tents larger than 10 feet by 10 feet will be permitted. That's perfect. I mean, you got four cars. That's 40 people you're allowed. If you just put the cars next to each other and combine, right? Just going to have to talk a little louder. That's it. That's yeah. fine. I'll be fine. I'm sure, I'm sure our friends in Lubbock will cooperate perfectly there won't be a single issue it'll be fine all right my loser of the weekend now i was gonna go with that lab in new jersey that turned out all the false false positives for all the nfl players because uh they that that lab was certainly a great candidate but i'm gonna go with tcu and i didn't put this in the roundup because i wanted to save it for my loser but max duggan will be out indefinitely People close to the program seem to think his career might be over after they discovered a heart condition that he's been living with his entire life last week during the new cardiac screening that the Big 12 implemented. Now, he tweeted out that he's had the necessary procedure and is on the road to recovery, but I don't know where that road to recovery leads for Max Duggan and he kind of had an up-and-down freshman year last year, but they were expecting 
big things. I, I mean, obviously, I'm hoping for the best for him just for his life, but this is not good for Gary Patterson and the TCU Horn Frogs. I mean, he started the last 10 games for them last year. They're expecting him to have a huge season, did some really impressive things with his legs last year. And when you look at their roster, that's I mean, they had some guys leave that would have been transferred out. Yeah. That would have been good options, but the other quarterbacks are what Matthew Downing, who's a transfer from Georgia. And okay, Stefan or Stefan? S-T-E-F-H-O-N. Stefan Brown, Stefan Brown? I would go with Stefan until someone changed that for me. Steph Curry has ruined everything for everyone. Um, But uh, Mr. Brown was the number one dual threat JUCO quarterback in the last recruiting class. So maybe he's got something to him. I think he was an Independence Community College guy. So we'll see what they do. But I can't imagine if he just had some sort of heart procedure. I mean, the guy just had heart surgery. How quickly can he bounce back from that? I mean – and then if you're TCU, can you accept the liability, right? We talk about liability all the time. This guy's got some heart condition. You don't want to watch him die on the field. Like, and that's, and I, I hate to bring that stuff up because it is a scary part of football, but we've seen those things happen. It's not like those things don't happen every once yeah. in a while. So, I mean, this is, this is some tough news for TCU, but I'm just hoping for the best for Max Duggan. That, that's scary, man. It is. It's scary. And emotionally for him, it's got to be crazy because, number one, you're gearing up to play a football season as a starting quarterback in a Power 5 football team. And then all of a sudden they're telling you, uh, no, you're not. I mean, that alone is, is tough. But then the next thing is you've got some type of serious condition with your heart and we've found it, and we think we can fix it, and hopefully that keeps you from dying out on the field. So that's got to be like, (laughs) okay, there's the good news. How Uh, much do you really love the game, Max? Right. So, I mean, to to weigh those two things and be have crushing news. Imagine being his parents, right? I know. Crushing news in one hand and in the other, um, something that – may extend your life or save your life and you know it's just it's crazy and you know what is amazing to me with with some of the stuff that we've seen guys in summer workouts collapsing and 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 dying and 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 this they found this in a like i said 50 dollar ekg Um, i'm shocked that more teams don't do this whenever their guys first arrive on campus they need to that's and they need to this needs to become, and I know that they're doing this stuff because of kind of the unknown long-term effects with COVID-19 on the heart. Like, I understand that, but this needs to become standard practice, right? And I know some schools do it, right? You come, you get your first physical, EKG, echocardiogram. I don't think many probably do an MRI of your heart, but it it needs to become standard. I mean, with, with all the – I know it's not all about money, but with all the money that all these people make off these kids, let's check their tickers before they go out on the field, right? We, it's not that expensive. This, this needs to become standard. The NCA needs to make this standard when these kids arrive. 
They just need to. Needs to be a new rule. Needs to be. Yeah. No, I agree. Whenever I played in the UFL, a uh, startup professional football league, um, it's kind of like the XFL. Whenever we did that, we showed up to take our physicals for the first time, and every year we had to do an EKG, and we had to do – I don't know if it was an MRI or what it was, but it was a full-on – like procedure heart scan where they took a they had the video of like the of your yeah a little echocardium yeah like the ultra like looks like an ultrasound yeah yeah and then and then in the nfl they would just do chest x-rays right Mm -hmm. to look at the actual size of your heart so it is it's standard in professional football let's stop pretending like these guys aren't semi-professionals let's Mm -hmm. check out their hearts before they get on the field come on guys I mean, it's just the way it needs to be. So best, uh, send in the best, positive vibes only for uh, Max Duggan there at TCU. Hope he can get back on the field. All right, Ted, let's finish up with everyone's favorite segment, and that is Keeping It Local, where we highlight what's going on in the great state of Oklahoma. And Keeping It Local is brought to you by Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. As schools are reopening in the fall, parents want to provide the best possible educational experience and spiritual development for their children. There's no better place for that than Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. A one-to-one iPad setting makes McGinnis students fully prepared to continue high-level learning from home. A 12-to-1 student-to-teacher ratio guarantees no student is overlooked. In addition to athletic programs and clubs, Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. Financial aid is available. For more information, visit bmchs.org. Now, our story for keeping it local was something I read about in an article by Steve Lackmeyer in the Oklahoman, and it's a new cool concept. And I just, Teddy, I just wanted to get your thoughts on it kind of in general. Now, I love when new cool things come to Oklahoma City, but it opened this weekend, and it's called Up Down, and it's in the Plaza District, which I'm a big fan of. Things get a little weird over there, and I kind of like a little weird every once in a while in my life. But according to Steve Lackmeyer, it is a vintage arcade bar where you can get pizza by the slice. You can also get a bunch of craft beers, but it has arcade games from like the eighties and nineties. It's got pinball machines. It's got ski ball, but this was the thing that kind of took it over the top for me. It's got a Nintendo 64 console, like gaming setup. Now it's also got your life-size Jenga, your life-size connect for that stuff, but pizza, beer, arcade games, Nintendo 64 console gaming setup. Are you in or are you out? This is kind of like the barcade concept, right? You you see it at different places. You see it at Flashback, right, uh, in Oklahoma City as well. But are you in or out on this concept in general? Because it is intriguing. I'm in, and there's there's a specific reason why I'm in. The Nintendo 64 gaming console is a game changer for me i can go get pizza anywhere i can pretty much play pinball well maybe not pinball machines but skee ball that stuff you can find that now to get it all under one one roof with some good beers and and food and stuff like that is good but the nintendo 64 is a game changer two okay yeah. Okay. Go ahead. I, I, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Yeah. This clearly, and that's what caught my eye as well. Now you can give me your top, 
let's go top two, top three, however many you want to give me. Your top Nintendo 64 games. The best Nintendo 64 game ever, and possibly the greatest video game ever created, uh, and is really the start to everything we see now, is James Bond on Nintendo 64. Was it was it Golden? I don't remember Gold, the name yeah, of it. I, the technical name is GoldenEye 007. I may or play may have played it a few times in my day. Got a little golden gun action. Um, that's that's the one. only answer. That's the right. only answer. Right? It changed video gaming, and I'm not. I'm I'm no longer a big video game guy. But back when I was a kid, my brothers and I, and I still have a Nintendo 64 downstairs. We purposely kept a TV to where we can, and we've got this little. It's kind of like a coax or like component thing that converts into an HDMI cable. We purposely kept. <laughs> a TV to where we can hook up that Nintendo 64 downstairs. Oh nice. yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's how we roll baby. I remember, um, Nintendo 64 wasn't, uh, that big of a deal. Everyone kind of had one. And I went to a friend's house and he had the James Bond game and we started playing. And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> What is this? what is this? This is incredible. Who thought of this? You talk. You telling me we can all? In, you know, it wasn't online, but you could play with four people, and you each had your tiny little square on your twenty-seven inch TV back in the day. But uh, it was still. Were so you a cool. screen looker? You gotta uh, of be. Course. I mean, yeah. If you, yeah. If you want to win, like people, are, you're cheating. Oh, shut up. Now the second, <laughs> my second favorite game. This is so random, but. It's Fight Kings. It was a it was a boxing what? game, okay. And it had like all of the it had all the boxers, like the greatest boxers of all time, and just the gameplay, the format on it was great. And I used to like Nintendo sixty four. It, it was old. Whenever, God, I'm trying to think. Like when I was in college, it was what like PlayStation two or maybe even three was already out. So Nintendo 64 is really old, but Dan Cody and I used to uh, play that game. Like anytime we had a break, we'd run up to the dorms and get a quick match in. And he got so pissed. Evander Holyfield. Whoa, like whoa, his, whoa. Dan Cody got mad? No oh, way. yeah. His, his Evander Holyfield's special move was a headbutt. <laughs> and... <laughs> So anytime, and I got really good to where I could time it up. Anytime Dan would come in for a, a punch, he'd, I'd throw the headbutt on him, and he would get infuriated. We had some close to physical confrontations over that game uh, throughout my freshman year. It was great. And Nothing. third is Tecmo Super Bowl. Or was that just Super Nintendo? That yeah, I don't think – yeah, that one yeah, – you're going a little too old school yeah. there, old man. Sorry, um, you're talking to a guy that was on all – I've been on every Nintendo uh, console that they've had, so they all run together. You're telling me that Mario Kart is not in your top three Nintendo 64 games? Uh, see, I that's what I'm saying is I've like I play I play that's Mario truly Kart. Baffling. I play Mario Kart with my son in there on the whatever the new one's called. So. I don't tie Mario Kart to Nintendo 64, but you're okay. telling me on that version it's the best? Because the one it's he's just, got now is awesome. Yeah, but it's just, it's a nostalgia is that the factor. 
well, yeah, original. And it, and it takes me back to like playing it in college, like with my buddies, where obviously it turns into uh, a drinking game. Of course it does. Like just Mario like every Kart good video game. Fantastic. And if you want to assign that to the Nintendo 64, then I will say absolutely it's a top three. Most, uh, most random game that I liked on Nintendo 64 uh, was a game called, I think it was called Wave Runner. It was like, you're on jet skis. It's so stupid. <laughs> nice. I, I mean, I just really enjoyed it. I really did. All right. Some old, old games, are, <laughs> some of them are cool. And I've gone back and played some of Ooh, my old Star favorites. Fox. Star Fox was awesome. Star Fox. Hmm. You never played I, Star Fox? Uh, Fox, do a maybe. barrel roll. Nothing? Not ringing a bell? <laughs> at all? <laughs> what? I'm just saying that I've gone back and played some of my old favorites, and it just doesn't have the same feeling anymore. They're not as fun as I remembered them being. Yo, well, I now played, video games are like real life. I mean, yeah. the graphics are unbelievable. Did you ever play any original Nintendo games? Yeah, well, I had two older brothers, so, I mean, I we, we were... Uh, I remember playing Atari at my grandma's house. Like, like the original? Way, yeah, like yeah. way back in the day. So, yeah, we tank, had... The tank game and uh, the Pong. Pong. That's about all you had. I was, <laughs> dude, I was so good at it. Um, but, yeah, I remember, what was it, Super NES? Like, I, I remember we had, we had, I mean, it was three boys, so we had every video game system. We had, we ended up having the Sega dreamcast we had the gamecube we had them <laughs> just reminds me of that malibu most wanted where he's like i said i got gamecast <laughs> but, <laughs> that's so stupid but yeah no we had them all and it's great I, I gotta get i gotta get back into my gaming ways i know it, so the new playstation's out right playstation 5 i have no idea but yes i'm gonna i'll, I'll agree yes it's out I need to get it. My son's, I mean, he's, he just turned six and he's, he's pretty decent on the sticks, dude. He's pretty you good. You go to college for free. I know. I've seen that. I've seen that. It's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. That's just, I could be a free way. Could be a free ride, but we'll see if colleges will, uh, if their budgets will bounce back by then <laughs> with all the, all the guys getting that blanket waiver for eligibility. Yeah. We'll see. Things could change. All right. Episode 36 in the books, Ted. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Thursday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400. You can hear me on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great week. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. And do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.
for just one more time.